Welcome to this broadcast of Truth For Today. Last week we completed our study in the book of Acts. So we're starting a new study, and this study will be uh, on the Sermon on the Mount, which is principally found in Acts chapters 5, 6, and 7. Um, And I'll warn you in advance and give you a recommendation. Uh, In my study of the Sermon on the Mount, one of uh, the great Bible teachers of my generation, John Stott, from All Souls Church in London, did an expositional study on the Sermon on the Mount, which profoundly influenced how I looked at the sermon. So uh, his book originally was titled um, The Christian Counterculture. A reprint of that book has changed the title to The Sermon on the Mount with a subtitle of The Christian Counterculture. And uh, but but uh, it really uh, is an excellent resource in really getting uh, the good exegesis that he gives uh, in quite detail, and he uh, makes some excellent ap- applications and explanations of things that the people who, uh, when when Matthew wrote the gospel, understood because it was part of their culture that is no longer part of our culture and really helps us understand what's going on in the sermon. Uh, in my viewpoint, I think I share this with John Stott, is uh, this is like the essence I mean, of, of Jesus' teaching about the kingdom of God. Uh, there's a lot of other teaching, but it's as if uh, in one communication he is kind of putting it all in one place uh, and, uh, and, and and so it it is uh, really important for us to understand this so before, before we go any further let me have open with some prayer and then we will start our study into the Sermon on the Mount thank you Lord for providing us your revelation uh, you inspired the writers. You providentially protected the copying. And you worked in the hearts of the translators and in their minds so that they could render as accurately as possible into our own languages how you inspired in the original language. And we ask that you Help us to appreciate that, never take it for granted, approaching it with the reverence that belongs to it, and recognize that it's your Holy Spirit working in our hearts today that reveals how it can be applied in our own lives. And help us be willing and and eager to cooperate with the Holy Spirit so that as he's working to change us more and more in character to be like you. Amen. Okay, starting verses 1 through 12 of Matthew chapter 5. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. 
Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So what is this sermon? I've already mentioned that it's like a uh, a condensed version, like the essential oils of a of a fruit or a vegetable, where the the most impactful ideas are being presented in a very clear, distinct manner. You could look at it in modern terminology as a manifesto, because it's more than just education. It's a call to action. A manifesto in our times is a written document that says how we are to be and what we are to do. And so this is Jesus's manifesto for the kingdom of God. And it it shows an alternative to a man-centered culture. The Roman Empire was a man-centered culture. The Jewish religious hierarchy was a man-centered culture, although they led themselves to believe that it was God-centered. Jesus, in his manifesto in these three chapters in Matthew, is going to disavow them of that uh, thought and its instruction for the disciples. It's clear here at the beginning. Jesus saw the crowds, so he went up on the mountain. And his disciples came to him. So he's not preaching to the crowds. He's preaching to the disciples. Now, you know, it's because of the drama of this, and it's very dramatic. Okay, because of the drama of this, uh, Hollywood likes to portray this as Jesus talking to the multitudes, and so we get the wrong idea. Biblical idea is the multitudes were there, but he went up away from the multitudes, and he was talking to his disciples. Which means, if we say we are followers of Jesus today then we are modern-day disciples, and so what he says here applies directly to us. Now, again, in this preamble here, before he actually gets into the content, Matthew gives us some additional information that we might not, in our culture, fully appreciate. And that is, um, he's seated 
He sits down. Now, in our culture, an important person stands up. He's behind a podium, he's reading a teleprompter, or he's standing up in front of a classroom, also behind a podium. Okay, He's the source of authority, and he's speaking to the people who are seated. In the in the time of Jesus, that's not the way it was done. Of the person who was respected and who was the source of whatever authority was involved would would be seated. So the fact that he's seated indicates that he is a source of authority for what he is going to say. And when we get to the end of the sermon that will be brought back to our attention. And then it says, he, Matthew used the word, he opened his mouth. He didn't start out with, Jesus said. He said he opened his mouth. This is a formal written way in that culture to indicate the seriousness of what follows. It's not, this was not casual conversation. This was important. So he uses that phrase, he opened his mouth, to give the readers, his readers, an understanding that this is, he, as, a, as a prelude to what's following, is really important. Okay, Jesus starts here uh, in verses 3 through 12, and he's going to give us character qualities, elements of Christian character. And because he's talking to disciples, it's what every Christian ought to be or ought to be becoming. The first one is poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Um, and the Greek terms here uh, give us the sense of bankruptcy. So think about economic bankruptcy in the modern terms where you're unable to pay your debts and you throw yourself on the mercy of the court when you declare economic bankruptcy in the United States. So Jesus is talking about spiritually being bankrupt before God. Those who acknowledge their spiritual bankruptcy before God are blessed. And they receive the kingdom of God. I cannot do this on my own. It introduces uh, the primary thrust of God's action towards humans throughout history that is, that is sort of focused in the person of Jesus, which is God's grace, where God knows that we are spiritually bankrupt. And he has figured out a way to deal with that. 
So it's important for disciples to recognize, and it's and these are sort of in um, tiered order where they build one upon another as we go through. And this is like the this is the foundation. All the rest isn't going to work unless this goes first. Okay, so the second one is blessed are those who mourn. Mourn what? When I was growing up, before I was a Christian, I thought this meant about when your father or friend or husband or brother died and you mourned. That's not what Jesus is talking about. The, the, the emotion is probably what he's thinking of. But he's talking about, if you look at this, follows from the first, if you recognize you're spiritually bankrupt, what you're mourning is your spiritual bankruptcy. You're mourning about your internal sin, the sin that is that you recognize in your own life. You mourn about the sin you see around you in society. And the blessing is comfort. Today in our society, the sense of comfort is somebody puts their arm around you, gives you a hug. Um, they may say some things that make you feel a little bit better. But that's not what the Greek word means completely. I mean, there's that element to it. But literally, comfort means to strengthen or to encourage. And the same Greek word used in other places in the New Testament is frequently translated encourage. So, and, and the Holy Spirit is given a title in the Gospel of John as the comforter. But that word means someone called alongside to help. So, Biblical comfort is more than just well-wishing and an emotional salve. It is real, practical help. And that's the blessing for those who mourn. They shall be comforted. They shall be helped. Hey, Christian life is not all joy and laughter. Just because you're Christian doesn't mean that adversity isn't coming into your life. We all recognize that in the last several months, having the world is dealing with this disease. That's adversity. It came into our lives. But... The promise is, we will be comforted. In the translation that I read to you, which is the New American Standard Bible, uh, the third element of Christian character, blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. In other translations, they frequently use the word meek. Now, in, I think, modern Times, the idea of meek or meekness implies weakness. 
which is a great there's a great divide between what the Greek word here that is translated in the book I read to you, which is gentle or meek and some others, because that term came out of cavalry doctrine in Greek literature. It referred to a Greek war horse. Now you think about a horse. Have you ever been close to a horse? I have. They're big. The closer you get, the bigger they are. They weigh somewhere between 1,200 and 1,500 pounds, and they're very strong. As a result, most of us today, when we we don't get very close to horse because you know we're not used to it, and all that all that strength and weight could be very dangerous. But the Greek word here has to do with a trained war horse. In Greek cavalry, they had a shield in one arm and a weapon in the other. No reins. Well, there were reins, but they didn't. They weren't doing much with the reins because the horse had been trained to respond to body position and foot pressure. Didn't need the reins so he could focus on using his weapons. So all this strength and body mass is under the complete control of the rider who doesn't have to jerk on the reins. And it turns out the horse becomes like another part of the rider's body, responding to what the rider does instantaneously without being driven to it. So the term gentle, translated gentle or meek into English, has to do with all that strength under control. And this stems from a true knowledge of ourselves and our surrender to God's purposes. And the blessing, we, those who are meek, will inherit the earth. Not because they're not weak. They have great strength under control. The fourth one, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Righteousness. Well, in a legal sense, it means you're justified. In a moral sense, it means that you have character and conduct that pleases God. And in a social sense, it means you're seeking man's liberation from oppression. Now, uh, the Bible goes on to say that our righteousness without being a disciple is as filthy rags in God's sight. We have to have the righteousness of God given to us, part of grace. But if you hunger and thirst for this, God promises that you will be satisfied. The Holy Spirit is here to fill that promise. The next one, blessed are the merciful, for they 
shall receive mercy. So there are two aspects to the word mercy. The first is, or one of them, is compassion for those who are suffering the the effects or the consequences of disobedience. So, take an addictive situation. A person is addicted to drugs. It's a consequence of disobedience. If we have compassion on them, then we are showing them mercy. And there's an active part to this compassion. We offer them, if with, with it's within our capability, a way to mitigate or help them with what they're dealing with. And then there's God's other aspect. God, God has this compassion for those who are suffering from the consequences of their disobedience. But there's another legal aspect of mercy which God demonstrates because he withholds just retribution. Our disobedience deserves punishment. The punishment is death. He withholds that punishment from us from his mercy. And the blessing is if Having received God's mercy, we demonstrate God's mercy. Then, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. The next one is, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Pure in this sense is uh, no alloys. Think Think of modern days. You may have some gold jewelry. Uh, if you do, it's not pure gold. Because pure gold is not very strong. And it doesn't hold its shape very well. <laughs> and so, to make it into jewelry that will hold its shape and stay in shape, they mix some other metals in. They alloy the gold with other metals. That's why you get 14 karat gold, 18 karat gold, 24 karat gold. The higher the number, the greater the purity of the gold and the softer and more malleable and easily damaged it can be. And the value of the piece goes up as the number goes up from 14 to to 18 to 24 because it's more pure. And pure in heart means unalloyed, dedicated in one to one thing pure and obviously if the blessing for disciples is to see God then the purity of their heart is their dedication to God no alloys no distractions no nothing mixed in to dilute their focus on God They are utterly sincere and transparent to God and men. Next one is peacemakers, called the children of God. Peace, reconciliation with God, 
and reconciliation with men. We will learn that later, part of our primary mission is to be reconcilers, to help men reconcile with God and to demonstrate that by helping men reconcile with one another. And the last one on the list will be a resulting condition and blessing when God's people do the other five. I think there are five. One, two, three, four, five. No, six, seven, the other seven. The other seven. Doing doing the other seven, having those elements of character built into our lives so that our heart attitudes and our actions reflect them will result in this last one. Persecuted for righteousness sake. Because we will be doing what is right in God's sight. And it will be contrary to the culture. We will be persecuted. Persecution is the clash between two irreconcilable value systems. It is our, it is a way of the world demonstrating to us that we are being genuine people of God. Discipleship means allegiance to the suffering that Jesus went through, which will lead to our own suffering. So do not be surprised if you are persecuted. And if you're not being persecuted, ask yourself why. Because the world system is antithetical to God's kingdom. And if we demonstrate, as the early Christians did, their, these characteristics of character in their lives, the result was persecution. And there is notable persecution to the people of God in this world today. Those of us in the United States haven't seen the full brunt of it yet uh, because of our constitutional protections, but it's coming. In closing, I just want to remind you, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He is not saying these are lofty goals that you should try to, but you never can reach. That's not what he's talking about. He's expecting his disciples to pursue these character qualities through the power of the Holy Spirit and live consistently with them so that they will stand apart and be clearly distinctive from the culture around them. That's the end of today's lesson. If you are visiting the Arizona area, Phoenix City, or live in our area, you're welcome to join us for the second part of this hour, which is a discussion, question answer period. Um, usually takes another half hour. And, uh, and you can join us here for the live version of this. Uh, we start at 9.30 in the morning on Sunday morning at Sun City West Christian Church, which is the host of this program.
uh, in Sun City, West Arizona. We look forward to your visit. God bless you all.